0: Well, welcome. Welcome everybody here. Welcome everybody online. As you know, my name is Eric. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Um, get the privilege of bringing the message today. You know, we're in a series um, on the challenges of the church, and we're looking at the seven churches in Revelation. No S. Um, and, uh, you know, it's important to realize that while the, um, in this, these seven letters... We think of it as specific to churches, uh, but they're actually equally specific to individuals. Um, We all kind of go through this life process, right, where... What was that? All right. Okay. Okay. So uh, we'll continue. We're all capable of um, falling into any of the traps that we see in the church, right? Um, So we saw the church at Ephesus had become legalistic um, and forgotten that sharing the message of Jesus Christ and caring for God's people was the mission of the church. Um, And then we saw the um, church at Smyrna, which was being attacked by Satan for doing the right thing. Um, And I think all of us probably can remember a time in our life when we were kind of thrown a curveball, and and things were just not as we had hoped they'd be. Um, and uh, we really relied on God to help us out, and um, the uh, <laughs> for what was uh, you know going through. Um, and, and he does that. He attacks the church for the hope of making it ineffectual. Um, if you can't change what you believe then he can make you ineffectual in what you're doing. Um, And he can sort of tie you up. Uh, And then there's the church at Pergamum where Satan was using the lies of the world to lead them astray. Remember, they had intermarried and now they're trying to keep their spouse happy as well as follow the ways um, of Christ. And um, that doesn't work very well. And lastly, we looked at the church at Thyatira. Uh, and recall that Satan was leading the church astray by false teachers that were actually in the church. Um, that were teaching and leading people um, into sin. And the church is extorted that they need to rid themselves of these people. And those who had followed these wrong ways need to repent. Um, and that God would forgive them. Um, now to repent means to reverse course. Uh, to acknowledge that what you were doing was wrong and stop doing whatever it was that you were doing. Um, We read in Joel in the second chapter, verses 12 and 13, Yet even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and tear your heart, not merely your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and relenting of catastrophe. So in the Old Testament, tearing your garment was a sign that you were in mourning. Um, And um, God is telling people that while tearing your garment is an outward sign, he really wants to see that mourning on the inside. Um, He wants your heart to be changed, not just your clothes. Um, He wants to see that inward change. Um, And, you know, we all go through that kind of process. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I don't do anymore. Really. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and it's because the Holy Spirit within me gives me the strength not to do those things. Um, and, and I'm not telling you that I arri- I've arrived. I mean, there's plenty of things I'm still working on. If you think I'm kidding, ask Donna. She knows. Um, and often the temptation doesn't go away. We're still facing that temptation. But God promises us to give us an escape route, to give us the strength to get through that temptation. Sometimes <coughs> only one day at a time. You know, right now I'm trying to go through this diet, and I have grandkids, and they do evil things like eat Oreos. Um, and uh, you know, I told my wife, get anything out here, out of the house that's yummy, you know, because it's, it's tempting, right? But, you know, with grandkids, that's all they eat is garbage. And so, um, like, I don't understand Takis. I mean, there's got to be enough food dye in there. To, I mean, it's like, anyway, I digress. Um, so today we're going to look at the church at Sardis, um, and the church there is struggling with complacency. Uh, a little context. So Sardis is an ancient city. Um, architect, archaeological uh, findings suggest that they've been occupied from as early as 3500 BC. Um, and due to the topography, the way the, 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 the lands around them are, um, it's an extremely fertile part of Turkey. Um, and because of the way the mountains are, they're also the center of a lot of trade routes. So a lot of routes you had to naturally go through Sardis to get someplace else. Um, so therefore, throughout its history, <coughs> it's been very affluent. Um, it has, it's always been prosperous. And you, one thing that's really interesting, you can tell how affluent a culture is by what's left behind of its artwork. If you're worrying about what you're going to eat, you're not making art. Um, And yet, when you look at the history of Sardis through all the um, um, archaeological diggings, there's a huge array of artifacts that are art-based, which tells you this area has been affluent for millennia. Um, Now, the other part that's really interesting about Sardis is that because of its success, it's also been conquered by lots of folks. Um, It's been conquered by the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantine, and the list goes on. So many people that um, it's amazing. But the interesting part of it is the citizens of Sardis rarely resisted. They were like, hey, I don't really care who's running the city as long as you let me do my thing. Um, And so it's like, hey, you know, you know, Romans, you want to kick the Greeks out? Fine. I'm good with that. Just don't mess my garden up. You know, don't mess the house. Um, so, again, as long as everything was doing well, they were happy. Um, their trade prospered. Um, they had plenty to eat. All was good. Uh, there's a few exceptions to that rule over literally 4,000 years uh, when the city was devastated. But it's a very rare thing. And most of the time, those wars were com- competing dynasties didn't involve the citizens of the city at all. Um, And so that gave them that sense of complacency. Um, We saw a similar event in the Philippines when we were living there. Corazon Aquino took control of the government from Ferdinand Marcos. Um, And it was really competing armies, those loyal to Marcos versus those loyal to Aquino. To the average peasant, they didn't care. The only thing that changed was who they wrote the bribe to. it, their life didn't change much. Sorry. No problems. I just can't use my hands. <laughs> I know I get in trouble because I like to move my hands. You know, there's the old story about two guys walking down the street. He goes, Hey, why don't you say something? Uh, of course, it's snowy, blizzardly, with her, And the guy looks like, oh, Freeze your own hands. Um, so, all right. Um, so, uh, again, the average citizens in Sardis didn't care who was running the show as long as they were allowed to do their thing. Um, you know, and so that developed into this long-term complacency. So, um, we're going to read the revelation chapter three, verses one to six to the angel of the church in Sardis, write: He who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars say this. I know your deeds that you have a name that you are alive and yet you are dead. Be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Then if you are not alert, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who overcomes will be clothed the same way, in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this letter to Sardis is sort of unique in all of the letters in the sense that God has nothing good to say to Sardis. Um, If you recall, most of the other letters start with, here's all the good things you're doing, and then they use that three-letter word we all hate, but, which kind of erases all the good things he just said, um, and he's going to point out what they need to change. Not so is Sardis. There is nothing good. Um, They just go right into it. And the only perceived good thing is their reputation, which turns out is ill-deserved. They may look like they're doing well, but they're not. All um, right, so verse 1, to the angel of the church at Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars say this, I know your deeds and that you have a name that you are alive and yet you are dead. Now, the church is not dead in the way we think of a dead church. In this case, their pews are full, right? Right? We think of church being dead when you walk in and there's only a half dozen people there. Well, that's not the case in Sardis. It's full. Um, They're dead because what happens is church has become a routine. It was just something you did. Um, You know, kind of, you do it on Sunday, and otherwise it had no real impact in your life. Um, They had become complacent. Now, it's really important to understand the difference between complacency and apathy. They're not the same thing. People tend to use them the same way, but they're not. Now, as you know, I like dictionaries. I know I'm weird, uh, but I like dictionaries and I'm gonna, so complacency is a feeling of satisfaction with the current situation, often accompanied by a lack of motivation to improve or change. It can arise from a sense of security, success or comfort and can lead to stagnation or regression in personal or professional growth. A complacent person may not see the need for improvement or may underestimate the potential risk and challenges of their situation. Sounds like Sardis. Apathy on the other hand is the lack of interest or emotion toward a particular issue or situation and it can stem from the sense of hopelessness, helplessness or disillusionment and can result in disengagement from the important matters or causes. An apathetic person may not, feel, may not care about the consequences of their inaction and may feel overwhelmed by the complexity or magnitude of the problem. You see the difference. Sardis had become complacent. They are happy in their success. So, again, their pews are full, their bank account's healthy, their stomach's full. What is there to care about? Life is good. But spiritually, their growth had stopped. They were dying spiritually. Um, You know, and as much as we don't like it, the struggles of our life help us to grow, help us to grow spiritually. Um, If you have no struggles, often you stop growing. You're content. Life is good. I don't have to worry about anything. Right? And that's a very dangerous place to be. Um, and good or bad off, God will knock you off that. Um, and so it's best not to get there in the first place where you don't need the help. <laughs> so, um, you know, I remember when I was new in the faith, I'd heard something on the radio that meant a lot to me. Um, they had, the announcer on the radio said, it says, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I thought to myself, wow, that's really convicting. It really is. Am I, does the world know me as a Christian? Am I making a difference in the world? Um, it reminded me of the verse in James, Right. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 says, What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith, awful, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Now, first of all, I want to say that this verse gets used incorrectly a lot. Um, the um, salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Um, it's not faith and. Right. There is works does not get you saved. Rather, works is evidence that you're positioning Christ, uh, that Christ has moved you to do something. Right. Right. Um, So it's proof that the Holy Spirit is actively working in your life. You are changing, right? You're getting more and more Christ-like. Now, sitting in a church no more makes you a Christian than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Um, People, I know people who think of church as a punch sheet. You know, they got to make sure God knows they showed up every Sunday. Um, like there's a time clock, God goes, oh, good, he made it, he's a little little late, but, yeah, we'll give it to him. Um, Yeah, no, that's not how it works. Um, What I read when I see that part in James is that we're supposed to maintain that zeal that we have for God, that excitement that we have for God. Um, You know, and it's interesting, when I, I look at what was happening in Sardis, that's what they'd lost. They'd lost that excitement. They'd lost that zeal. You know, we look at the letters from some of the other churches. They were struggling, but they were excited. God was working in them. They were missionary. They were busy. They were getting things done. But not Sardis. Hey, all is good. We're just going to kick back. Tomorrow's potluck. You know, it's good. Um, and I was thinking to myself, well, that's not Summit Ridge. We're not that way. Right? We're active in the community. Our doors are open. We serve all sorts of folks. We have active discipleship. That's not us. And yet, I think it's more of a warning th- about complacency for all of us. Again, individually, we have to guard ourselves against complacency. Um, you know, we talked about um, last week that it's critical that we. Personally, stay active in the process of sanctification. We have not arrived. There is still more we can do. We can get closer. We can get more Christ-like. That road doesn't end until they're kicking dirt in your face. Right? It's a continuous process. Uh, and yet we see Sardis has gotten comfortable. They're like, I've gone far enough. I'm good. Right? Now we talked about it's critical to know the truth, but it's Critical not only to know the truth, but to continue in that process to stay in the word to continue to share the message Um, Now We kind of measure sometimes how much time do you spend in the distractions of life, right your hobbies Media social media. I don't know about you. I hate social media. I People like hey, did you see what happened on Facebook? No Uh, (laughs) I don't look at social media, uh, but I have plenty of other distractions. I have plenty of hobbies. Just ask Donna. I have too many hobbies. Um, I like to do try something new. I'm always trying to learn, um, and, and that's okay. But we have to ask ourselves, what's the amount of time we spend in our distractions versus the amount of time we spend with God, right? Um We have to be careful that we aren't putting God on a shelf like, look, I've got one. I have friends that I kid you not, they think knowing God is an insurance policy. I've got this, keeps me out of hell, it's a good thing. That's the last they did with it. That's not it. That's not how this works. And so God sends a warning to the church at Sardis. Verse 2, it says, be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I found your deeds you have not completed. Found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Then, if you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. Now the church at Sardis isn't backslawing. They're not living in apostasy. They're just living in complacency. Uh, they think they have arrived. Um, they have no desire to get closer to God. Um, they're thinking, I'm doing fine. Life is good. What is there more to do? They're like going through the motions, but without that level of excitement. And God is telling the church, particularly its members, it's time to wake up. Um, I know the tr- You know the truth, but you haven't followed through. The tasks I've assigned you, you've not completed. You're not finished. You need to continue. And the works of the church don't measure up to the standard that Jesus expects of them. The interesting part about this is that no one would be more surprised about this than the church. I'm sure when Sardis got this letter, they're like, oh, that's not me. That's not us. right?" They're surprised by it. Um, They're oblivious to the fact um, that they're failing before God. And that Christ is on the verge of disowning them. We read in Matthew 10.32... Therefore, everyone who confesses me before people, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before people, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Instead of practicing missionary zeal like we saw the church at Thyatira, Sardis is content. They're not spreading the message. They're not telling everybody that their success is the responsibility of the God they follow. They're missing out on their mission. They're secure and complacent like the city they live in, Um, untroubled by persecution, untroubled by heresy, um, and they've set a task for themselves of avoiding problems, avoiding hardship, and pursuing a policy based on convenience and circumspection. And the end of verse 3, God gives them a warning. It says, then, if you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come to you. He's telling the church they need to go back and remember the earlier days, right? They need to remember what they were taught, how they responded, how they behaved, and repent the fact that they have shifted away from all of that and to return. They have to go back to behaving the way they did at the beginning or God's going to remove their lampstand. Now, it's not all bad news. There's a few things about Sardis that is not yet dead. We read in verse 4. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So there are still a few there whose righteousness is still unstained. And the church still have memories of how they first responded to the gospel. So it's not like they've forgotten the message. They've just set it aside. They haven't forgotten how to behave. They've just stopped doing it. And the key word here is how. How did they act when they first received the Spirit? They need to remember that spirit of repentance and commitment that they had in those days. And I think for a lot of us, we can remember what they're saying here. When you first come to know the Lord, you're excited. You're telling everybody who will listen. Um, you dig into the scriptures. You ask a lot of questions. You know, But as the years go by, you kind of accumulate all your knowledge. You get comfortable. You've gotten your questions all answered. Um, you look forward to Sunday, because church doesn't start till 9 and you can sleep in, right? Then you go do your morning thing, make sure you don't miss lunch, um, and you're Whatever you want to do the rest of the day. So you're punching a time clock for God. want to make sure he knew you were there, but it made no difference in your life. And typically what happens, something catastrophic happens in your life to get your attention. Now, I can think for Donna and I, I will not forget a time in our life where we ended up in bankruptcy. And I was up until that time, I had a great job had a great paycheck, I was good. Happy giving away, you know, I had no problem tithing. I was good. I was feeling pretty good of myself. And unfortunately, God knew that. Um, and he got my attention. I lost my job. I ended up in bankruptcy. I took a job as a grill cook in a Mexican restaurant because I had to make some money and I needed to do something different. Um, and I can remember how difficult it was to take help from other people. You know, that was, for us, it was, it was a really difficult time. And we had some really strong friends in the church um, that knew that, that God had moving in their lives, that they needed to help us understand why we were here, why these events had unfolded. Um, and you grow through that as much as you hate them. Um, and I think we all can remember times in our life where we had to rely on God. And he reminded us, Of that zeal that excitement that we first had Um, and when you go through that you tell yourself well I'm not gonna go there again (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna do my best to avoid that situation and be much more introspection about where your walk is today um, and avoid that sense of complacency so here it is with Sardis right they're quite comfortable in their situation and Jesus is revealing to them that they've become so complacent that God is considering removing their lampstand But there is hope. Go back to the where you were initially, right? Rekindle your zeal, be excited, tell the world. Um, And if you do this, you too will be forgiven. Uh, And forgiveness comes with a promise. Verses 5 and 6, the one who overcomes will be clothed in the same way, in white garments. And I will not erase his name in the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, you'll notice that the ending to this letter is very different than the ending to any of the other letters. Even the promise of verse 5 comes with a warning. Um, And you'll see there's no mention here of the kingdom and the power and the glory that the other letters promise to the churches. Uh, No, instead, all Christ promises to the victors in Sardis is that he will not delete them from the book of life um, and they will get their white robe of righteousness. Um, Basically, they'll get back to where they were accepted before God uh, since the church is currently at the risk of losing its lampstand. Christ alone can see and expose the plight of Sardis and he alone can also deal with it, which he is more than ready to do. And the same thing for us. God knows this better than we know ourselves. And if he gets your attention, you should listen. He is the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Um, and he brings together the stars who are the angelic representatives of the church and the sevenfold spirit. Two things can happen. The seven spirits are God, the eyes of God with whom nothing is hidden. Hence the message of severity we have just heard. As we go through the letters, God has this unique view of the churches that often the churches don't know of themselves, just like he has a unique view of ourselves that we often don't see. But he's willing to bring it up. He's willing to help them overcome. So when you bring that together, not only can you diagnose the problem, but in this case with Sardis, you can revive the dead. And we can be certain that if Sardis remembers, goes back, heeds the warning, God will do just that. Now, it's interesting, while I was preparing this message, um, I was reading, uh, I like Spurgeon, I was reading the commentary that he had done with Revelation, um, and he makes this comment. When shall we find any period in which the church was more like the state of Sardis as described here than it is now? Spurgeon died in 1892. (laughs) So this is not a new problem, right? This is not unique. And we have a time today where the church is really struggling with complacency. Recall that back in the 1860s, the church was struggling with Darwinianism, right? And they were fighting over God's truth versus this new thing that they called the theory of evolution, right? And we see today the church is in a state of complacency as well. And there's this struggle with the truth and with what the world says. And some churches have just said, I'm not going to deal with any of it. We're just going to stay in here and hide and be content in ourselves. Right. But we can't do that. We can't be complacent. All right. So how do we bounce back from spiritual complacency? Well, we have to return to our first love and recognize that the loss of love for Christ is spiritual complacency. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is more than knowing the truth and the ethics and the processes. It's about knowing him. It's spending time with him. Um, Eternal life doesn't begin when you get to heaven. It starts now. And if we find ourselves struggling with complacency, there are things that we can do. We can remind ourselves daily of who he is and what he's done. We have to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to ourselves daily. We have to remember. We are to be forever indebted to our Lord who died on the cross while we were still sinners and we should be left in awe that he would look upon our helpless state dead in trespasses and sin and forgive us and justify us that we could be reconciled to God the Father if that message doesn't get you excited then you're complacent you need to repeat that message to yourself i personally is one of the most amazing things of god is that he knew from the beginning of time everything that was going to happen, including the crucifixion of his son, and he did it anyway. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Personally, if I'd said, well, this is what I have to go through, no thanks. Right? But that's not what he did. And he knew about it the whole time. In addition to preaching the gospel to ourselves, we must get back to studying the scriptures, making sure we're anchored in truth. And we must return to that secret place of prayer, having communion with God. One thing I've learned about prayer is I need to shut up. Right? I used to come and make this laundry list. All right, God, you listening? Here we go. (laughs) I'd read off my list, right? No, I'd got to shut up and listen to his response. Um, It's interesting... um, We often say, oh, I don't have time for prayer and meditation. Well, we don't not have time for it, right? right. I mean, it's the spiritual juice that keeps us going, right, to spend time to listen. Um, And we do these things not to check off some spiritual checklist, but to spend time with God. And he's going to show us what we need to change and encourage us. When you're going through difficult times, Nothing better to have going, you're doing good. Keep doing. Keep doing what you're doing. You're right. This is the right thing to do. Even when things are going poorly, you're doing well. Keep doing it. And share your message. I always love people, oh, how'd you get to do that? Well, God was there and he helped me through it. You know. And you get a chance every day to say, hey, thank you, God. Here's what he did for me. So in closing here, again, if you're feeling complacent, heed the warning. Repent, return to zeal. Father, so difficult in times that life is easy to stay excited, to stay zealous for you, to preach your message to the lost in this world. So much easier to stay inside, to stay away from the world, to be content. To avoid conflict but we thank you lord that you will come into our lives and you will make a difference we just pray lord that you lay on every one of our hearts that which you would have us do that direction you would have us go and give us that excitement help us to rekindle for anyone who's lost it to rekindle that first love in your holy and precious name amen